it took a few days for me to hear from him, but uh, he told me those first few days, number one, he thought he was going to die day one. He, it was just that, that insane. Um, he said, dad, you know, the, the look of human desperation on these people's faces was something that's completely unimaginable. Welcome to Patriots of the Core. I'm Thad Forrester. This podcast exists because of my little brother, Mark Forrester. He was angered by the attacks on 9-11, so he joined the military to help rid the world of terrorists. On September 29, 2010, he was killed on his first deployment. From his death notification to the dignified transfer ceremony, his viewing, funeral, and subsequent memorials, I was amazed at the new world of warriors we met. These patriots have become close to our family and been huge supports. They stood out because of their willingness to voluntarily fight evil. They believed in freedom. Because of their actions, I started this podcast to interview great Americans who serve their country and communities. Thank you for tuning in. Mark, your son Jared and 12 other Americans were killed on uh, August 26, 2021 in Kabul, in Afghanistan, during the whole the, the horrendous withdrawal. Tell us what he was doing that day, and I know that maybe killed is not even the, the proper word, but will you describe what happened, that what he was doing, and then the best way you like to describe his death is in, it, versus a sacrifice? Well, uh, killed isn't the right word. Sacrificed or murdered would be more appropriate. Uh, Jared was, um, when he landed in Kabul, he was immediately put on Abbey Gate, um, right in the middle of the absolute hell. Uh, he told me the crowds were so thick that if you entered the crowd with your arms down, they stayed down because you were smashed together so tight, like sardines, you couldn't you couldn't even raise your hands. If, and same token, if they were up above your head, had your rifle over your head, you couldn't get it down because there was just no room. Um, it took a few days for me to hear from him, but uh, he told me those first few days Number one, he thought he was going to die day one. He, it was just that that insane. Um, he said, Dad, you know, the, the look of human desperation on these people's faces um, was was something that's completely unimaginable. And he, so, he said that they, him and his brothers and sisters that were out there literally felt like they had to play God, you know, because they knew that why they were all trying to cram through there because they had the Taliban behind them. And if they got turned away, they're probably more than likely sentencing them to their own death. And he said, you know, the, the, the pressure of that is just is mind blowing. I mean, these are 20 year old kids for the most part, uh, much less myself, a 53 year old man. I wouldn't want that task. Uh, mm -hmm. But when I did finally hear from him, he uh, he said he was going to finally go uh, on break and get some rest and when he was getting put back out on post, it was going to be out on the airstrip and not Abbey Gate. And I said, well, that's that's good. Hopefully that gives him a little reprieve and uh, at least experience a different uh, angle of, of what they're actually trying to accomplish there. But more importantly, get him out of the muck, you know, out of that that hellhole that was outside the Abbey Gate there. Were uh, they sleeping at there at the airport? And when they were off, were they there or were they being bused somewhere else? Oh, that was right there. All there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They would go in through the gate and uh, switch out um, uh, troops and, and, and relieve each other. But um, what sleep they could get, they didn't get much. Um, it, it, <laughs> this goes so deep that uh, 
we would need three podcasts to cover it all, but none of this needed to happen the way that it happened. That's for sure. Um, and I've been saying that since day one, but uh, I had been following what was going on over there. Cause obviously I had vested interest with my son being there. And then when the news broke that there was an explosion, um, my heart bled for those as, as the, um, the injury reports were coming in and that we lost, you know, two troops then we lost four, then it was seven. It was, it continued to climb. You know, my heart broke for those that we lost. And, and I thought immediately about the other families who would have lost somebody that day, but in the, my heart of hearts in my back of my mind, I felt a sense of relief that my son was on the airstrip, you know, and that he wasn't part of that, um, debacle. And, uh, but how, how do you not feel for those that, that perished and those that were injured? And this is way early on, so we didn't have much information at all. Um, I immediately called a buddy of mine that works for me, and uh, he served as a Marine back in the 90s. And I said, how long do you think it's going to be before I hear from Jared? And he said, man, they're, <laughs> they're busy right now. Um, it's going to be a while, but you'll hear from him. I'm like, all right. Well, later that night, the only people I heard from were, were the Marines that stood at my door at 2.42 in the morning instead of my son. Um, a lot of people say they can sense and feel when when something has happened to a loved one. I didn't. I never got that feeling. Um, I guess I, I was either in denial or I was just wishing it to be that he, in fact, was on uh, on the airstrip and, and just super busy and just not mm -hmm. getting a hold of me. But... Um, Turns out he never got to go to the airstrip. He was put right back out at Abbey Gate. And um, as as details started to emerge, I got more and more pissed off. Um, you know, it, it didn't come out till later that they they were well aware of the impending attack. And other than having the guys take cover from time to time and shutting the gate from time to time, they didn't have, they didn't have any intention of protecting these guys. They could have shut down operations. That gate was technically supposed to have been closed already. And he would have safely been inside on the other side of the wall. But, um, and that's part of who we're still trying to get the details from on who ordered that gate to stay open when it shouldn't have been. All the other gates had already closed, you know, so. So Mark, it, the Marines that came to your door, first of all, did any of them know your son, Jared? Had they trained with him or worked with him before? And secondly, what did they tell you? What did they know at that time? They None of them knew anything about him. Um, they were Keiko officers, so they weren't uh, they weren't active duty Marines. They were stay at home and uh, take care of okay. take care of business stuff here, you know, type. Uh, but great guys. They uh, were very respectful. Um, it's got to be one of the world's toughest jobs, honestly, to do what they do. But mm -hmm. uh Unfortunately, they couldn't tell me anything. I mean, they, they honestly, it's because they didn't have any information. Um, they just knew that Jared was on the casualty report and um, was KIA. And uh, I hate even calling it KIA because they were there on a humanitarian effort, not a not combat. And I've been catching some slack from vets out there. Um, Ninety plus percent of the vets support our families and and respect the fact of the loss of our kids, but. There's a small handful of vets out there that have uh, had the nerve and gall to to say some pretty harsh and nasty things like your son signed up for this. He knew what he was doing and, you know, get over it. And 
that pisses me off. Uh, there's no other way to put it because he wasn't killed in combat. This was not a combat mission. My, my son was thrust into a situation because of the stupidity of the leadership of this country um, by closing Bagram. I mean, my, my son is in Bagram. That's a whole different ballgame. Um, I doubt this would have even happened. Uh, <laughs> like I said, this goes so deep, but to those veterans that feel that uh, that these 13 were killed like any other that was up in a firefight up in the mountains, that's an incorrect statement. I mean, this, this was an absolutely horrific mistake by the suits, not the boots. The kids were there doing what they were ordered to do for a humanitarian mission, period. This was not a combat situation whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that opens up a whole nother can of worms, like my beef with the Department of State. Um, quite frankly, they need to fuck off when it comes to stuff like this. I mean, once this turned into what it turned into, Department of State should have taken a hike and gotten the hell out of there. Let the military do what they're trained to do. Um, which brings into question all of, a lot of other things, like our rules of engagement. You know, um, Tyler Vargas Andrews, a hero for coming out and speaking out against what happened. Uh, the fact that he sat there requesting over and over again to take a shot on a guy that matched perfectly the description of who the bomber was and was denied the opportunity to because nobody could get him a goddamn answer. That's absolutely un yeah. is unheard yeah. of. You know, um, there's... We know as, as a family, uh, there's nothing that can be done now that's going to ever bring our kids back. So our mission at this point is twofold. One, accountability. The idiots that, that are wearing the suits need to be removed that can't do their jobs. Number two, more importantly, we never want to see this happen again, where there's a situation where too many people are involved, communication breaks down, and then the unlucky ones uh, that are on the front lines end up getting killed because of the incompetency of the, their higher ups. Yep. And that's what we're going to make sure changes. So when you were given the news, when, when they notified you, how much time passed before you were in Dover for the dignified transfer? We arrived the, uh, the next evening. Um, Did you fly commercially? <laughs> no, they, um, the Marines apparently allegedly did everything they could to try to get us on a commercial flight, but couldn't. Um, I was at the point of desperation. I was going to jump in my car and drive, and I had no no business driving from St. Louis to Dover uh, in the state of mind I was in. But um, I got a, a call from a wonderful organization called Raider Air, who reached out to myself and my ex wife, and and um, the guy was quite candid. But that's what I needed at that moment. He says, "I hear you're having some problems catching a flight to Dover." Uh, we're going to take care of that for you. And Raider Air, is, uh, their mission is to fly families like in our situation and veterans in, in horrific situations to get them to places they need to go when they're not able to. Um, and so they've sent a, uh, a small prop plane, a six passenger, uh, enough to hold two pilots, me and my ex-wife, and then the two Keiko officers. Uh, unfortunately, my, my wife, my kids were stuck at home. They had to stay home because there's just no room. Um, yeah. which is really unfortunate because I was essentially left in Dover by myself. Um, you know, my ex-wife and I don't have a good dynamic. So, um, we were both alone, you know, and, um, so the Raider Air stepped up, got us out there quick. And, uh, <clears throat> that was the first time I got to meet with the other families. 
I've tried to envision it, Mark, uh, having been there, having been been there for us for the ceremony of my brother. I don't I don't know if y'all were in the same building I was in because y'all had more people. I think there were three deaths a part of the ceremony that were when I was there and only two families, if I remember correctly, could have been three families. But what I'm thinking is what I'm wondering is how long had your son had all the bodies been there on the ground? Before you were able to go out and witness them taking the tra- them their transfer cases off the the plane as part Hours. of that ceremony. Hours. Hours. Um, yeah. We know President Biden was there. Uh, a lot of guys were there. Who was there, and and what all happened? So leading up to that that day, the the night we arrived, the um, the military were at the hotel, and they asked all the families if that they understood that Biden was going to be there. Um, would you be interested in meeting with him? And my initial response was, hell no. He's the one who got my son killed. Um, and there'd be other dignitaries. I said, I'd be fine to meet the other dignitaries, but I have zero interest in meeting with Biden. Well, after sharing some whiskey with my son that night in the hotel room by myself, I um, repositioned my thoughts. And the next day they asked me again. I said, well, if it's okay, I changed my mind. I do have some words for that man. If I'm allowed to speak, he said, yeah, just remember the secret services there. So I said, okay, that's fine. But, um, when we got to Dover, um, the air force personnel that were there were very respectful, you know, saluting us all as we come in and, uh, we all sat and gathered. I call them pods, their chair and couch, chair and couch, and they're stretched all the way out this long building that we were in. Um, so there was a, family here and a family here all the way down like that just two two. we're all 13 families there yeah okay yeah uh there were a couple families that had elected not to uh not to meet with biden after all uh they were put in a special room that had closed doors so they literally didn't even have to see the man um but dignitaries came in first that would include secretary austin millie um you know their spouses um other higher ups um, than the uh, there's an admiral there. Um, I don't remember every person, but um, the who's who of of Washington that had to do with anything to do with with the war were there. Um, and meeting them was uh, they were all respectful because uh, this is again at this time we had no knowledge of who what these players were and what their roles were in any of this. Um, I didn't follow that kind of thing and. Uh, I know I remember Millie coming up and leaning in my ear and he kind of whispers in a deep voice. He says, we got those motherfuckers. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, we just did a drone strike. Well, it turns out that that drone strike um, was the one on the the innocent civilians, unfortunately, but they didn't know that at the time. Um, You know, so right then and there, I kind of felt, well, retribution always feels good initially. Um, And then, ended up obviously not being that whatsoever. But once we got done with the dignitaries, they left and then we sat around what felt like forever. Um, I think it was close to another hour. Uh, I found out after the fact that allegedly uh, Biden was napping on the plane and hadn't been woken up yet to come in while our kids' bodies are sitting in the belly of the plane out on the tarmac. And we're sitting in this room waiting to talk with the president. Um. He finally shows up and uh, starts at pod number one and, you know, just goes down the line. 
there's no privacy really. Um, we were pretty close to each other, but far enough that you could still overhear some of the conversations and from all the different little pods around us, he was saying the same shit and he was talking about his son, Bo, most of the time with most of the families, um, which I thought was strange even then. I'm like, well, maybe he's trying to relate some kind of loss, you know, that we're the same. I believe what you're missing, the picture here is your son died of cancer, not in combat, and you are personally responsible for why all 13 of our families are here. And you're not even acknowledging that, you know? So uh, I was getting rather disgusted um, just overhearing what I was hearing. But the strange thing was, is that as they're going down, up and down the, the rows, my ex-wife and I are right in the middle. He was at the pot across from us. And instead of coming to us next, which is the normal course of the way he was going, he was rerouted around. And then ultimately they went up and down on this side. And then they ended up finishing with us. And I thought that was a little strange. And then I was thinking, well, maybe it's because I originally said, no, I'm not going to meet the guy, but now I want to. So maybe for security or something, they were rerouting. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm only speculating at this point, but my meeting with him was an absolute complete waste of time. Um, how long was it? Was it 30 seconds? Maybe six minutes. Okay. Six minutes. It wasn't yeah. long. Um, I talked to the dignitaries far longer than I talked to with him, but okay, they all stayed together. You're saying they, <coughs> they, they moved together. The dignitaries and... did, but then they were all removed. And then Biden was there by himself with okay. service and, and Jill. Um, but they, they, um, He, he sat there and my my ex-wife showed him a picture of Jared and it, it looked like he looked right through the phone. You know, when you can look at somebody's eyes and you can just tell that they're either distracted or they're just not home. They're not there. That's what it looked like. And so I even leaned down and went up like this to him. And I said, that's my son, Jared, Jared Schmitz, learn his story, remember his name and learn the stories of the other 12. And that's when he looks at me like this and he goes, I know their stories. And I right then and there had to use the most self-restraint I've wow. ever had because I literally was about to throat punch the man. I was so disgusted by the way he would talk to me just simply because I could tell he wasn't there, you know? And I'm yeah. like, I was getting no sense of, of respect for the photo of my son that he literally wasn't even paying attention to. And he immediately starts talking about Bo again. And I'm like, you know, I think Secret Service could tell I was getting pretty agitated because they're good at their job. They bought, you know, they read people and they were tightening up the little circle around us. Um, I guess just in the event that something were to happen. But out of respect for my son, I, I wasn't going to go down that road. But um, did you ever hear the words, I'm sorry, any condolences to you or to any of the other families? Anything like that from him? Not that I remember from him. Um, I know even in person, he never once said his name. Um, and then obviously fast forward to now, he still has never said there's there, any of their names publicly. Um, but even he never uttered his name while we were standing in front of him that I can recall. Um, some of the dignitaries were asking us questions like, tell us about your son. Who was he? How old was he? You know, um, they showed some sense of concern or, or care, 
a compassion, but uh, Joe, no. And I, then the whole, this made the news. And for those people who feel like, you know, maybe one news station, it, you know, is really slanted and only shows picks and makes things out to be what they're not. What happened on the tarmac with the watch and anything else that, that we don't know about, Mark, that you'd like to share? Because, by the way, let me back up just a second. You heard that Biden was sleeping on the plane. Let's just say let's just say he wasn't. Even if he wasn't, he made you wait an extreme amount of time. There's no excuse for that. So I don't even even whatever the reason is, if he's sleeping or not. So now on the tarmac, what happened? So we all get down to, we take a bus to the tarmac. Um, they position the bus to where the media is on the left side of the bus and we're on the right. Plane is here. Dignitaries and Biden are across from us so that the press could still get good footage of them, but they couldn't see us at all. But the only thing separating us was the bus. So they could have easily heard anything we said or uh, if it was out loud, you know, very loud. Um, but they couldn't see us out of respect for the family's grieving. They weren't allowed to, to photograph us or video us. But um, Biden lines up. I see him constantly checking down the line like he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> so he's fo following the lead of, of the generals that were there. And, you know, if they were standing attention or salute or what have you. Um, so he, he just looked like a bumbling idiot, to be honest with you. But. The, they brought the first body, the first casket out. Uh, everybody goes to salute. He looks down and does one of these. And once that body passes by and they put it into the uh, the cargo van that they transport to the morgue, um, then they they bring their, their uh, salute down. That's every single time for the first four or five times. I, I guarantee you for the first four times that the casket came out, he would do one of these and look at his watch. And that's at that point, I leaned into my ex-wife's ear and I, I said, I, I swear to fucking God, if he looks at that watch one more fucking time, I'm going to run out there and I'm going to show him my watch and I'm going to yell at him and tell him it's 2 fucking 30. And honestly, I don't remember what time it was. I just used 2.30. But um, because it was so obvious that where, where the hell do you need to be right now that's more important? Mm hmm. Yeah, and I and when does he ever need to look at his watch? He he's told what to do. He doesn't it doesn't matter to him. So I'm sure it was a nervous tick. You know, we all do things that we don't quite consciously understand why we do them, but over and over and over, that was the worst thing you could possibly have done next to sitting there yawning or something. Um, which you know, sometimes that's uncontrollable, but that would have been the only thing worse than looking at his watch, would have been the the sign or signal that he was bored. Um it uh I, I know all the other families were watching and they saw him um nobody did anything because none of us knew what to do like holy shit this is actually happening right now what do we do and i honestly god wish i would have yelled it out now that i know these families but out of respect of the fact that they're grieving just like we were and i didn't know them from anything at that time i kept my mouth shut but Audio, the uh, media next to us on the other side of the bus would have certainly picked it up. Uh, they definitely picked up the audio on the sister of, uh, of one of the fallen that uh, yelled out, I hope you burn in hell. Their blood's on your hands at the very end of it. Um, at first, I thought, well, that, that was kind of tasteless, yet very, very true.
And now looking back, I completely respect and understand why she said what she said. And uh, I'm glad she did because that was picked up and a few places covered it. But Biden has never taken responsibility for anything that that he has done bad. And that has held true through his entire presidency. If there's any positivity on it, full credit right here. I got to take credit for it. But anything bad, it's always somebody else's fault. It's usually Trump's. And this is this is no different. Yes. Yeah. Being blamed on Trump, too, which is absurd. Well, Mark, you spoke to the what was it called? The um, the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Is that it? Or was there were there more than. Was they called it more the Family Roundtable and there were representatives from the Foreign Affairs Committee present. It wasn't in. um an actual committee hearing environment. In fact, it was in a different building, but or, uh, but we, we, they called it the round table. It was a chance for those families that wanted to participate to air their grievances, ask their questions, uh, demand accountability. And that's what the, that's what it was all about. And luckily it was televised by several major news networks because it's, that's something that the public needs to see and hear. Yes. And I'll have a link to that. Was there anyone, first of all, did every family speak? Everyone that was there did, yes. Not every family was there. Okay. Did, was there anyone, you know, maybe this is subjective, but did anyone have the say things as powerful as you did? Did they have as much, maybe as much emotion and, and energy as, as you? I don't have a um, a very good governor when it comes to my mouth um they're much more controlled than i am i just fire from the hip and and a lot of stuff comes out of my mouth that uh, that i feel and i mean and uh you know i may live to regret certain things some days you know but they they were very polished um i think we're all equally as upset about everything that happened as as the next but um given the fact that we're all individuals we all have our own individual way of expressing our feelings and our and our thoughts so i think everybody did a wonderful job i know uh, darren hoover is um is a firecracker like myself we don't he and i tend to not hold back um you know the other families again have a lot of wonderful things to say and they articulate it well they just don't uh they don't come across as raw i guess is a good way to put it yeah yeah well even though yours was yours was raw i thought it was articulated very well I'm, I I was fired up when I heard it. I mean, I felt sorrow. I felt anger, all kinds of emotions. Do you think that at all that any of those statements, yours and the other families from that meeting that day, that roundtable, has that been relayed to, you know, to, to Millie and Blinken and all them and Biden? Do you think they've heard about any of it? Millie, for sure. I think he was watching live because um, he had called in and made a statement and wanted it to be read out loud to the families. Um, Biden, I, I doubt it. I mean, unless somebody can draw a cartoon of it, he wouldn't understand. I'm sure what the hell we were even saying, but um, I doubt it. I mean, he's so, he's so shielded from all his screw ups that uh, he probably thinks he's doing a great job. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's gone pretty viral, so I would assume that a lot of people that are who's who's in, in D.C. have seen seen bits and pieces of it. I don't know. I mean, I, it's not like I keep a scorecard, so I, I don't know for sure. But I know Millie yeah. was watching live, so. Okay. 
I want to read just a, a segment section from uh, or a little portion from an article about your statements. And it says Schmitz added that Biden likely has more American blood on his hands than any president in U.S. history. And, and he requested investigations into Biden, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken for their involvement in intentionally leaving Bagram Air Base and all its assets by knowingly aiding known terrorists and all are all while abandoning U.S. civilians and allied partners. Is that, first of all, is that accurate? And then um, what's the status on any investigations into those guys? Investigations are still going on. It is accurate. Um, Biden should technically be brought up on treason um, for what he did with Bagram. I mean, when you look up what the definition of treason is, uh there are certain things that fall into the category of treason, one of which is aiding and abetting um, the enemy. And in this case, it's terrorists. When he left Bagram, they did not destroy all of their weapons. They, in fact, left, I think, in the ballpark of $80 billion worth of machinery, weapons, aircraft, bullets, guns, everything, and snuck out in the middle of the night. What he's claiming is that they thought the Afghan army would then take it over and use it for themselves, which, yeah. I, you know, I've talked to some CIA people who said, and and I quote, if they try to tell you that they had no idea that Afghanistan was going to fall that quickly, they're utterly and completely full of shit. So they knew it was going to fall. He didn't care because he all he cared about was his stupid 9-11 date to trump his little trumpet and uh, or toot his little trumpet and and have this glorious uh, the war is over for 9-11 bullshit um which ultimately got our kids killed because of that mindset um the uh austin and and uh and blinken are just as much to blame um for their actions in the entire thing not to the same level as as uh biden in my opinion but um, oh, the, the, there should be the investigations are still going on. I know that the Foreign Affairs Committee has had closed door interviews with a lot of key people, witnesses and things trying to get more information. The um, the report that the Pentagon put out on um, what they call their conclusive report uh, was the furthest thing from it. We called them out on that bullshit because they never even interviewed Tyler Vargas Andrews, the sniper that was sitting right there that could have killed the guy. They never even once talked to him. NCIS didn't talk to him. FBI didn't talk to him. Military didn't talk to him. It was absurd. It was um, he was on a podcast where all this came out, and thank God for that. And I and I would salute uh, Tyler any day that I ever saw him for what he did. He's a freaking hero in my book for coming forward. Yeah, um, I know a lot of these kids are that are still in are scared to death. They were they were uh, ordered not to speak to the press and not to talk about what happened. And they, in fact, they were all told that what they saw that day isn't what they really saw because of what they call blast effects. Concussive effects from the explosion have um, screwed up their memory on the recollection of what happened on the mm -hmm. events that day. Mm -hmm. But it's I think it was CNN was able to talk to 70 some out Afghans or something in a story they put out yet. Our military um, 
JAG, Pentagon, whoever's in charge of that investigation, never once talked to a single Afghan that was there either. Yet they sit there and tout how many countries they went to and how many interviews they conducted. It's like, who the hell were you talking to? Because the key people that are part of this weren't even talked to. Lieutenant Colonel Whitehead, who was the direct superior to Tyler, you know, the, the sniper team there, they didn't talk to him. You know, this all came out after the fact, after essentially Tyler was a whistleblower. And then all of it comes out. And now it starts to snowball. But because of all of that, their conclusive uh, interview or investigation that they did has now been reopened because we basically all called bullshit on it. They were trying to fluff a story through that would suffice. And with all these charts and graphs and stupid nonsense and yeah. a whole bunch of redacted everything in it. And the report is, you know, thousands of pages, whatever long it was, I don't remember, a couple thousand pages, I think, um, has now been reopened and they're going to reinvestigate. I have zero faith in, in them doing the right thing. They have proven time and time again that they just, they're going to they're gonna spend this story to make themselves look good. And, um, you know, none of this is going to bring our kids back. We know that. But the truth needs to come out so that how do you ever learn from mistakes if you don't admit the mistakes, you know, and that's yeah. what's not happening. Nobody yep. is taking accountability for this whatsoever. Yep. I feel Including you. Biden, which is where the buck stops and he won't even take it. Unfortunately, I just don't think he'll ever, he'll never be held accountable for a lot of anything really in his life. Probably. What have you learned? What all have you learned since Mark? I mean, it's uh, I know you've probably done some, your, a lot of your own investigations more so than probably what the government and the military has told you. I'm guessing, just correct me, but what have you learned since? I mean, I, I guess the suicide bomber, he, did he just work his way into the crowd, into the most densely populated section, or did he get as close to the troops? I'm trying to figure out the whole layout of what really happened that day and then what Wait. you've learned since. So as you can imagine, it takes a significant amount of time to get from the checkpoint where Taliban was vetting people. Was that like a half a mile away kind of thing, or do you it know was, the it was hundreds of hundreds of yards down the canal area? Yeah, okay. um, I don't know the exact distance, but it was a considerable distance. But because of the sheer mass of people, you couldn't just walk right through. You know, you had to work your way through. Um, they had a very descript uh, description of who to be looking for. And it was a younger man with accompanied by an older man. Um, they knew what he was wearing. They knew what he was carrying. Um, they knew how he had no hair and what to look for, the color of his clothes, everything. And that's what Tyler spotted hours and hours and hours before anything ever even happened. Um, it wasn't until he got a little bit closer that he could make a positive ID. And Tyler did the right thing. He called in numerous and, and i don't even want to try to attempt the, the the jargon they use but he had called in certain like psyops and other places other people uh to come in and verify that they're seeing the same thing he's seeing and in fact they did and they all confirmed that including lieutenant colonel whitehead who then left and was supposedly going to go i guess to the psyops office or something to talk to whoever his higher-ups were for rules of engagement you know and it's like this is where it gets just, I'm not happy with, with how our rules of engagement are set up, especially under a, an imminent threat situation like this. Um, worst case, had Tyler taken that shot and he was wrong and it wasn't the suicide bomber, he would have killed an innocent 
Afghan. As, as terrible as that would have been, it would have been one life. Any life sucks to lose, yes, but it would have been one. Um, and in, as Tyler put it, had he seen this man's face disappear or his entire torso uh, ripped open because of a sniper shot, it may have deterred that bomber if he was in the vicinity from proceeding. Uh, it may not have, who knows? But the fact is Tyler didn't ever get that opportunity. And he could have probably taken the shot without waiting for the tr proper pro uh, chain of command or protocol, uh, but he would have been risking his career. And I can get, I get the immense amount of pressure there was for him to, you know, it's, it's easy to talk about as an armchair quarterback than to be in that situation, but I don't blame him for not doing it. I just think that our sniper teams are so well-trained that they need to be given a little bit more latitude when it comes to a situation like that. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's terrible, but I, I've been talking with, um, uh, Really early on, I got a, a phone call from a war correspondent from from England, and he travels all over the world um, covering different conflicts and things. And he promised to stay in touch with me. And in fact, he did. When I was in D.C. for that family roundtable, we were taking the bus uh, from the roundtable to meet with Donald Trump the next day. And we stopped at a rest stop. And as I got out to stretch my legs, my phone rings. And it was this war correspondent from England calling me again. And he said, I wanted to let you know, I went by Abbey Gate. They, they came in shortly after uh, the U.S. troops all took off. They went to, um, he found, he saw some CCTV cameras and he figured out where their uh, recording stations were for these cameras. And all the equipment was removed already. So th that brings up a whole other point because there's a lot of missing stuff. And it, it always seems to happen when there's fishy business, things just magically disappear and walk away. And mm -hmm. it's, it's typically always to the benefit of our government in some capacity. Um, I demanded and asked for the SD card out of Tyler Vargas Andrews sniper rifle, the scope, um, which would have recorded everything he saw the description of the guy. I mean, for me personally, as a father of a fallen, I want to see the image of who this asshole was, this coward. Um, but for investigative purposes, that needs to be turned over. And to my knowledge, that has not been done yet. What's the freaking delay on that? It's we're three years down the road. You know, I know they're just buying time to let Biden run his course. And then whatever falls, whatever pieces fall after that, they fall, but they don't want to mess up anything for him right now, which Again, another case of election interference, in my opinion, because they're just trying to make them not look bad. There's an investigation going on. Let's get it going on. Let's get it done. Um, then the, the CCTV cameras, who the hell took that out? Was that our military? Were they ordered to remove stuff so that any coverage wouldn't be there? You know, it's funny. Mm -hmm. You look at footage of the Afghans that were all in that canal area by the gate. There was hardly any Afghan that didn't have a cell phone who wasn't taking pictures or video throughout all different times of the day and night. But yet there's only one 1.3 second clip or whatever it was of uh, two of our military personnel being talked to when with somebody's cell phone um, 50 yards away or so. That's the only known footage of that blast. I find that very, very hard to believe that that's the only existing 
footage. I mean, one of the one of the uh, things that terrorists love to do is film their their terror. They love to for propaganda. They love to have recordings of what they do, and this would have been a big one. Uh, you're telling me that there's not a a single video out there that they took of their own that they can't get their hands on. Um, I don't want to see my son die from different angles. That's not what it's about, but it will shed some light on a lot of things. I think of where people were at and what they were doing. Um, so there's, there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. Um, that those investigations are still ongoing where it's not, it's not stopping anytime soon that I'm aware of. I know that uh, Congress and the Foreign Affairs Committee will be going on holiday break here soon and things will pick back up again next year. But um, this shouldn't be that damn difficult, you know. And in the meantime, we've got all these other conflicts going on. And we've got troops uh, stationed all over the world that are essentially almost potentially going to be in harm's way at, uh, at the drop of a dime, you know, anywhere mm -hmm. in the world right now. Uh, and that scares the hell out of me because what have we learned from this? Other than the fact that our leadership is, is not that, he's not a leader, and he certainly has no business commanding the ultimate command over the military, but we have conflicts going on and nobody's able to to change anything from what we just went through three years ago. Yeah. Was was Jared killed instantly, Mark, as far as I, you know? I still don't even have that answer. I can only assume so. Um, I know that... Uh, Physically, when I saw him um, in his casket here stateside, uh, he was, he looked good. Um, I was fearful that it was going to be a mess. Um, I did read the autopsy reports, and the damage done to him was significant, but you couldn't see it. Um, I noticed that he had, uh, let's see, he was on the left side, sorry, uh, like a raised portion of his skin right here um apparently a ball bearing had entered from the rear through his jaw shattered all his teeth they found his teeth in his esophagus and um but i'm guessing because the front of his face was okay the, it hit the teeth shattered everything and stopped didn't go obviously through the front of his face um but he had I think there was 12 entry points in his body. Um, five metal fragments were recovered. Um, in the autopsy, it said that the metal fragments were on, uh, from unknown origin. Um, I put a request in formally for those metal fragments so I can independently pay to have them forensically studied to find out what that metal came from. And um, I was told that they were uh, they no longer had them. They were destroyed. Why would you destroy that? You know, if they're just small ball, ball bearings, it would fit into a little pill bottle. You know, um, what's the purpose of throwing that away? You know, especially when the investigation hadn't even been completed yet. Mm -hmm. So, again, just a lot of fishy stuff that um, a lot of cover up type stuff that's going on with this. It just doesn't make any sense. What else about Jared would you like to say, Mark? Why did he join the Marines? I think he also wanted to go into law enforcement at one time. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall there. It started in third grade. He wanted to be a Marine, but, you know, you, you just kind of chuckle and you're like, oh, you can be an astronaut too, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. But then he gets to high school and um, he was just a kid that cared about people as a whole. But when he got to high school, he really kicked it into high gear and said, you know, this is definitely something I'm going to do. He was a huge Call of Duty 
uh, video game player like a lot of the kids are. Um, I had that normal talk like every dad does. It, this this is real life. This isn't a chance to reset your lives and whatnot. But he said he, he understood that and uh, he wanted to make a difference. And because he cared about people, I think joining the Marine Corps gave him the opportunity to do that on the biggest of levels, you know, and he got bored quick. Uh, COVID hit when he was in the Corps and uh, got out of boot camp and they had to train with masks on while they're carrying their heavy rucksacks and um, doing these ruck marches with masks had to just absolutely suck. But um, he, he was he was getting bored. And finally, when he got orders that he was going on a deployment to Jordan, he got he was totally stoked and excited to see another part of the world, to train in a different environment. Uh, he got to train with uh, the DM, a designated marksman. Um, I had often given him shit about becoming a sniper because he was always a hell of a shot. And uh, his response was always, it's, it's too much math, Dad. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he loved the ladies, uh, just like any young teenage boy does. But uh, I tried to tell him, I'm like, look, you go to a bar. And, the, and a young lady asks what you do for a living. You tell him I'm a Marine sniper. My God, it's in the bag, you know? <laughs> and he says, it's still too much math, dad. So <laughs> he was happy being uh, 0311 and uh, that was his MOS. And He told you he didn't need to any excuse. What he, what he, all, what they saw was good enough, right? right. He's like, Look at all this. <laughs> I didn't ask for all this, uh, but uh, he was a very compassionate kid. Um, uh, huge heart i don't i can't i've racked my brain i can't think of a single enemy he ever had nobody that did, ever didn't like him um it's just a, it, it seems to happen like this too often where you've got a great soul that is taken too soon um meanwhile the scum of the earth gets to still walk around wreaking havoc on everything uh it's just a terrible i've gotten to learn stories about the other 12 and you know, it's, they're all very similar stories, just wonderful, good, kind people that cared and wanted to make a difference. And, and now they're all gone, you know, and it just, it never had to happen. That's, that's the unfortunate part about it. Jared has a younger sister or brother with, with special needs. Two, two, younger, right? two, two younger sisters. One of them is special needs. Yeah. Um, so Jared started training for the Marine Corps before actually enlisting. Uh, he he'd rarely ever researched stuff on Google, but when he did, he was researching what like what training uh, exercises the Marines do, so he could prep himself. And then he uh, had us take him to the St. Peter's, uh, our local uh, Marine Corps recruiting office, so he could train every Saturday with the guys that actually had already signed their paperwork. And this is all before he actually signed. In fact, they let him lead a couple of their uh, their little many camps and uh he wasn't even one of them yet um it was an experience he he totally cherished and um his youngest sister uh actually got a kick out of watching him work his ass off to become a marine that he wasn't even marine yet and uh so she thought it would be clever to load up her backpack because back up jared used to walk her back from school every single day mm -hmm. and about a half a mile walk so she would load up her backpack with the heaviest things she could find at home and go to school and then wait for Jared to be right there when she comes out the door and she'd drop 
her backpack off at his feet and make him ruck at home with her heavy backpack. Well, the, mm. the funny thing is my daughter didn't quite understand or realize that she had to carry that same heavy bag all day and just to lead up to the point where she could get that satisfaction of dropping it on her big brother's feet and uh, make him carry it home. So he, she worshiped the ground he walked on. He, he definitely, he, he loves all his brothers and sisters, but um, he took a special interest in her because he knew she needed it. And um, I actually have a video of him sending her birthday uh, wishes uh, while he was at Pendleton. And I'll cherish that video forever because mm -hmm. it's, I, I've got a, it's a couple minutes long and it's of him talking. And then he recruited a bunch of his buddies to all wish her a happy birthday as well. So um, that was very special. So we'll hold on to that one forever. Yeah. I, that kind of struck with me when I, I heard that because I've, our youngest son has Down syndrome and I just, it just seems like lots of times the siblings of the special needs either, you know, maybe they were already special, maybe, but if not, that helps them to be more compassionate and understanding. And so I, I'm, I'm amazed at, you know, my sons and how they take care of their youngest brother, Will, who's, who's, you know, got the, who's down syndrome and doesn't talk yet. And that was special to hear about Jared. And, and I'm so sorry for, for what happened. And I'm angered and, and I appreciate you taking the charge, you know, to, to do everything you can to hold people accountable, because this is, this is not just a mistake. This is negligence. I mean, there's a lot more to it and accountability needs to be had. Mark, what, what else in closing about Jared about, and uh, definitely uh, freedom 13. What would you, what all would you like to share? Well, um, when Jared was killed, he was 20 years old, and his 21st birthday was February 25th. The following year, um, he would have been 21. So my my wife and I uh, decided we needed to do something to celebrate his 21st. It's a milestone birthday, even though he's not here. Uh, so we decided to put together this pub crawl idea to have our community, who's been so supportive of us, rally around and celebrate his birthday. Um, so in conjunction with our nonprofit that we started, because with, this is one of our ways of keeping Jared's name alive and uh, more importantly, helping veterans that are still with us. These are his brothers and sisters that are left behind. Um, the freedom13.org is our website, but uh, we, we established this pub crawl to raise money for the freedom 13. Um, the pub crawl went, I was on uh Fox News, national news, and I accidentally on purpose let it slip that we were doing this pub crawl idea back home. And within 48 hours, we had 25 different states with like 198 bars and restaurants signed up. And um, we're doing it again this year. Uh, we've actually started the sign up process as we speak. It's already going. Um, this year's uh, pub crawl, well, next year, February 24th, it's a Saturday, will be the actual pub crawl. But with the monies raised, uh, and we raised over $125,000 that first year, which was fantastic. Um, yeah. We hope to, to shatter that this year, but um, the money's raised is all going into the Freedom 13. And then with the mission we have behind that is we wanna build recreational retreat camps, one in every single state. These will be built on a hundred acres of land each or more um they're 
recreational is being the key word there because this will be open to veterans and their families, 100% free of charge. It'll operate essentially like an Airbnb where a veteran and their family will go, hey, let's go visit the Missouri camp or let's go to the Arizona camp uh, or the Florida camp. They'll sign up for the week they want to go. All we need is a valid DD-214 to prove that they, in fact, served and they're in good standing. They come out and enjoy the grounds. There will be 13 uh, houses built on each of the properties. That's just our, our magic number. Um, but we'll have a, a, a veteran that we'll hire in each one of the camps that will live on site, rent-free, earn a modest uh, living, modest salary, and they'll serve as a property manager for the entire place. There'll be the welcoming committee, the exit uh, crew, the, the groundskeeping, you know, but the, the neat thing is they'll be surrounded, around, surrounded by veterans uh, the entire time that they're there. Uh, but the vets who are staying there, they'll have hiking opportunities, fishing, swimming, if there's water on the property. If there's not, there'll be um, riding trails with side-by-sides. You know, I, I want these guys to go out there and tear the shit up. I mean, the ground anyway, um, not the houses, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's a chance for vets to get together, bond, meet new meet new buddies. Maybe they all kind of work it out where they all go together and, and just have a great week together with their families. Uh, maybe your guys have never met each other. Might be a guy who's uh, 40 years out and uh, compared to a guy that just got out five years ago, you know, and they can share stories about how things were back in, in their day. Um, it's bonding. It's it's um, it's a chance to reboot, reset. Uh, in, in my mind, if you were a veteran, whether you saw combat or not, uh, whether you were injured or not, you're a hero in my book and you're welcome anytime. You know, that's that's the way I look at it. So uh, it doesn't matter who's who's in office. Uh, not enough is done for veterans across the board. So it's it's organizations like ours and so many other great ones that are out there that have to step up and just make a difference and for me this is therapy this is uh this is what keeps uh, my son's name alive the other 12 as well and i think we're going to set it up where each of the houses in each of the different states will be able to a house will be able to be dedicated to a particular fallen hero in that particular community mm -hmm. um, where people can raise money to have a plaque put on the on the house and that house will be dedicated to that person just to memorialize them as well but we'll do neat things like uh brick fire pits and stuff and the flooring definitely that we'll have the, the bricks you can customize and memory of a of loved one um you pay for it and that money goes in to help pay for everything so the the only catch to this is that it's such a huge mission uh, i try to use the example if we were a mission to buy cars for vets we could have bought several hundred cars for vets by now, but that's not what we're doing. We want to build these camps and these camps are estimated. They're going to cost, depending on how much gets donated, uh, like land wise and materials wise, it's probably going to be two to four million per camp. So we haven't even started the first one yet because we haven't raised enough. Um, we're approaching our first million raised. But will the first one be in Missouri since yeah, that's where you I, are? Yeah. yeah. Just to work out all the kinks, we'll do the first one here. Um, it it needs to be kind of close to where I live, within about an hour, hour and a half. That way, if I have to deal with things, it's not it's not going to take me all day to get to it. Like we've got a lot of property in southern Missouri, but that's four and a half hours away, you know, and that's just one way. So you've got a nine hour round trip, and then you know, 
to change a light bulb. It, it doesn't make sense to spend a whole day to go down to deal with one little thing. Uh, so we're going to keep it a little closer to here. Plus, we're closer to the airport. You know, um, it's not as far to get to. Uh, so we're probably looking at the Herman, Missouri area ish i mean somewhere uh, within an hour hour and a half of downtown st louis uh would be ideal but we'll start in missouri the the goal is to start in each of the states where we lost one of the 13. so there were uh some from california some from indiana or uh, one from indiana ohio uh, massachusetts so we'll pick uh, those states i think first unless of course somebody from Georgia or something is like, Hey, I got hundred acres you can have and build your camp on it. We may go down there uh, before another state, but if those opportunities don't present themselves, then we'll, we'll just continue to find a state of the first 13 that were killed. Uh, we'll start with those and just branch out. But this will be one of those things that once we get that first one in the ground and I actually work as a real estate photographer, videographer and a drone pilot, so I'm excited that once we get that first one done, I can actually get in there and do my thing uh, that I do for a living and then really showcase it so people can come out and actually visit it. You know, yeah. uh, uh, I know Focus Marines is a wonderful organization. They had reached out and made mention of uh, of leasing the property for a week so they can conduct their their mission with their veterans. And they, they help these guys out with a, a week long course, which would be fantastic. I mean, that's what it's there for. I want yeah. to for the benefit of veterans. So Mark, what about Jared's siblings? How are they handling life without him? Not well. The my youngest daughters don't even like to talk about him because they want to remember him as their brother alive. And they get quite frustrated when I do things with Freedom 13, when I do interviews like this, when I um I'm recognized around town because that just brings back the memories of, of their brother being gone. Um, so we try to shield them as best we can. Um, they're going to be okay, but they're, it's tough, obviously, for many reasons. Um, his stepbrother, uh, which is, a, he's 21 now, he's a year younger than Jared. Um, he's in counseling. Uh, he idolized he's special needs as well. And he idolized the ground that Jared walked on and he need he needs that counseling. And it's been very helpful. Um, and then he has an older brother who's about to turn 30 next week. And um, as they, as they got older and whatnot, they kind of grew apart just because of life, but uh, it's it hit him pretty hard too. So, um, you know, he, Someone once told me it doesn't get any easier. It just gets different. And that can't hold more true. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a void that'll never be filled. Um, but, yeah. you know, you, you can just do what you can do to, to, to honor him and make him proud of, of the way you're living your life. And I hope by what we're doing helping his brothers and sisters through our organization. I'm making him proud. So yeah, I hope that's a great thing you're doing. I, I wish you much success. I'll put, I'll put the a link in the show notes. Mark, is there yeah. anything else you'd like to say about your organization or your family or about Jared? I would love for anybody that uh, the, the beauty behind this pub crawl that we're doing, and it's just a pub crawl because that's what we call it year one. But honestly, we've, we've set it up now that, 
we're actually operating it on a peer-to-peer system platform. So Boy Scout troops, schools, nurses, real estate agents, anybody who wants to create their own team and become an ambassador for the Freedom 13 to help us raise money can join in starting now. It actually started on Monday. This will go up through the pub crawl, and then we're going to continue to raise money throughout the whole year using this system, but we'll just reset everything after the the pub crawl. But there's all kinds of ideas that we have in there, like you could have a raffle, you could hold a trivia night, you can have a movie watch night, you can do music trivia, you can do, uh, if you own a business, you can run a special on something and donate money that way. But you build your team up and you get awarded points and you can earn badges. It's a it's a very addictive uh, platform because there's all kinds of different leaderboards. You get points for sharing stuff on so- social media. You get points for uh, raising money, donating money. I mean, it's it's just a very universal, great tool that is is getting a lot of headway right now, and um, uh, we're excited to see this thing grow for sure. So, um, if you go to thefreedom13.org scroll down just a couple inches you'll see a banner there for the pub crawl um just click on that and that'll take you right to the p uh, p to p site uh, which is our peer-to-peer site and anybody can sign up you, if you don't want to have your own team you can join an existing team just to be a part of a good cause if you believe in the mission and help us raise money because god knows yeah. we need a lot of it so is it a specific date in february february 24th is actually the day before his birthday only because that's a saturday his okay. birthday this year will be on a Sunday, so um, we're doing it on that date. But bars and restaurants can run drink specials, and they can start fundraising right now as well and build their teams. It becomes like a healthy competition between businesses and bars and whatnot. Um, the current leaderboard right now, the personal fundraiser, is actually uh, an older woman by herself. She doesn't even own a business. She's just a very patriotic woman that believes in the cause and she's going out there and just recruiting everybody to donate to her team. And she's, uh, she's the current leader, which I'm sure she'll get past pretty quickly once these companies start coming on. But it's great to see that even a a lone individual can make a difference. And uh, I'm sure it makes her heart uh, feel good to do it. So what about your shirt? Does that say angels of Kabul or 13 angels? of Kabul? It's got all 13 of them on there. Yeah. It's an awesome shirt. Yeah, I, I'm like a walking billboard. Yeah, it looks <laughs> I design good. all my own stuff, and uh, so the F is a gun. Is that right? Am I really yeah, looking? At, yeah, yeah. Yep. Unapologetic. I love it. Yeah, yeah. My own girls can't even wear our, our stuff to school because of that F. Mm. Just, I mean, it's unreal, but um, you know, it is what it is. But we we just partnered with Grunt Style um, shirts again, and um, so we've got a new. 2024 pub crawl um, coming out. That's all on our website as well. It's a pre-order right now. They won't, uh, I won't be ready to ship those until probably mid to late January, but. Well, you're doing great work. Thank you for spending time with me today to appreciate you responding to me. I, uh, I, I wish you much success, much healing and it's in your, and for your, just for your family, your children too. And, and uh, God bless y'all. Jared is a, is a warrior. And he did what he was called to do. And yes, he was taken too early. Absolutely. All because of horrible decisions and negligence and incompetency and a lot of words that I can't, I don't even know. That's the best words I've got right now, Mark. You nailed it. I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you for the time.